just take us through the, the last sequence there and what you saw. We're going right down to the end again, but this one, it's for the whole thing. Number one seed, NFC West. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of time. They don't have any timeouts. This is fourth down. In the back, he flared out to the flat real fast, and I knew uh, they was probably going to have a slant behind me. Here's your game. Here's Russell Wilson back. All practice coaches telling me just, you know, look at the quarterback eyes. Wilson throws, caught. Every uh, Thursday, we go through goal line, and uh, he tell me, hey, don't go on the goal line. Don't go on the goal line. Keep your feet inside and, you know, and just play lateral to downhill and, you know, just... Wilson throws, caught, Hallister's hit, Hallister's hit, Hallister's hit on the goal line and dropped by Dre Greenlaw. Made a tackle that my coaches and, and teammates would be proud of. And when I finally saw it on replay and I saw that he was sure, and I was like, yes, like I was just, just thrilled, man. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, your San Francisco 49ers are the NFC West champions. It is the 13th win Wednesday this season, and boy, it was a doozy. And with me this week to tell us all about the nuances of his New Year's Day hangover, it's David Newman. Energy's not going to be high on this pod. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm going to bring the energy up. Much like, the, much like the energy that I had when I busted out all of the scotch at the end of the night, which was a mistake. It was a mistake. That's that's where I like you. You have that moment where you think to yourself, "This is this sounds like a good idea." Yeah, I can I can do this. It's fine. Can, it's fine. It's totally great. I mean, look, we had some great scotch last night. Up uh, to that point, was alternating drinks oh, and yeah. water. Everything was fine, looking yeah. good, hangover free. Was oh, gonna yeah. be was gonna be us, and and then uh, and then it all went downhill. Yeah, it all went downhill. Uh, it, it was, but it was a fun night. I it had was. some fun. Uh, played some games. Fun was had by all, and uh, and so it was good. Spending the new year with you, uh, it, the last New Year's that we will spend childless. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Didn't realize we were breaking it out, but this is a true story. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. Uh, David and I do everything together, <laughs> including apparently uh, have children because uh, our yeah. due dates are six days apart. Yeah, we didn't plan this. No. Just, uh, <laughs> we may, just how it happened. We may have planned the off-season nature of said children. Sure. Uh, but the, the thought process that led there was independent but similar. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, look. Uh, the fun was had by all. Uh, so more sober <laughs> fun by our wives. Uh, but yeah. we've got built-in DDs, and it's great. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. but th- it was a really fun game to watch. You, you know, the, watching the game, I was pretty much inconsolable. Uh, when they got down into the red zone at the end of the game, I was just about losing it because this this didn't feel like a game where the Niners were going to exercise their demons, and yet they did. I mean, it was an absolutely thrilling twenty six to twenty one win, but it, it was not the it was not the game that I thought we were going to pull out there at the end, just because of the probability of what Seattle can do and has done in the past, and yet. I guess they keep tripping over that one yard line, and that's a thing. Man, I it, it, like it had to come down to just again like it plays right, literally right at the goal line. Oh. Like, why did it have to get there? I, yeah, but I, I think once they got down, uh, what was it? The Metcalf pass, um, kind of on the scramble drill that got them like down right around the twenty. That was the point where I was like, shit. It's like they're going to do it. It's happening. Yeah. Well, they've, they've been able to kind of corral Wilson in, in this offense and do a good job all game. And like, here's where it's finally they're going to have their drive. And like, look, they they got a little help for sure. They had a, a couple dumb mistakes from Seattle, uh, a little bit of help from the rep. But oh, yeah, take it. Take Absolutely. it. Take it when you can. But so this was definitely not a repeat of the week 10 game in a lot of really, really key ways. And, and it wasn't just because of the outcome. 
But we talked in the lead up to the game that in week 10, it was one of the 49ers best defensive performances based on EPA allowed per play. And, and just the likelihood of keeping Russell Wilson down was not high. And that's exactly what we saw in week 17 against Seattle. Only the Cardinals game was worse in terms of EPA allowed per game. And that meant, of course, that we needed a really good game from Garoppolo and the 49ers offense. And that's exactly what we got. Right. It, this, as far as like the, the scenario that we outlined coming into the game, it pretty much played out exactly like we said that it would kind of need to in order for them to come away with the win. Right. And that's, again, the defense while we're going to get into kind of more detail there, they, they I don't think they were terrible by any stretch, but um, you you certainly were lacking in some areas, you know, namely the big plays and the turnovers that we saw in the first game. And so you didn't have those things, giving your offense extra possessions and, and extra chances at getting points on the board. And you did get while they still held Wilson to, you know, one of um, one of his worst games of the season, it still was a little bit better. It wasn't quite as bad. No, no uh, devastating turnovers or anything like that. And so you got those things that we didn't think would hold from the first matchup. And what did it come down to? It was Jimmy in the passing game that had to step up and, and be there to, for them to win. And that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, it really started up front and it started early with uh, with really the the I thought it was going to be a similar game to the week 10 game where Jimmy was going to get pressure all over the place because that opening drive did not look good. Tomlinson gets beat for the sack uh, and then you got a blown up screen to Mostert. And immediately I'm thinking like, oh, crap, here we go. But after those two sacks, Jimmy really had a clean pocket to operate from. And this is why, uh, you know, I, I had George on the podcast a couple weeks ago and I asked him whether or not he was worried about Jimmy with some of the interceptions and some of the holding the ball too long and not seeing the field well. And, and he was like, you know, no, I, I'd be worried if Jimmy were doing poorly from a clean pocket, but really worry about Jimmy in a clean pocket. Um, and they gave him a clean pocket and he was really, really good. They allowed seven total pressures this game, the 49ers, uh, and they allowed 24 in week 10. Uh, so that's, that's a pretty big dip. And, and Garoppolo made him pay. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think we saw him just kind of, he was on target. Like the accuracy was, uh, it was better than it's been in a lot of games this season. Like, um, was just consistently finding guys. He was decisive. Like we didn't see, uh, you know, a lot of plays where he was like, you know, that we've talked about in the past where he's a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger. Like generally there were throws like when he saw it and it was there, like he was taking it. I think there was like maybe one play as we were going through that really stuck out. That's like, Oh, I wish he would have kind of, I wish he would have let this one go. He probably should have stayed on this a little bit longer and, and made that throw. But Look, those are going to happen. Every quarterback has those in every single game. So uh, certainly one instance isn't something that you're going to get too worked up about. And so I think, yeah, he, he was getting the ball out to where it needed to go. And you saw also the receivers really winning in this game more often, right? We didn't have that problem where there was just nowhere for him to go with the football, right? You were having guys get open. I think, you know, Kittle and Debo especially were the the two. I mean, it was those those three players, Jimmy and those two receivers that were basically carrying the offense you know yeah. in this game yeah you've got that throw to Kittle early which to me was like okay Jimmy's here to play because that was a great throw on yeah. third down uh, it was a fantastic catch great throw basically it was going to be a reception or nothing else so you've got that that throw which really threw Kittle open but then you've got another route where Kittle just completely discards a defender with a head fake to the inside and then cuts back outside you've got Debo who on that long pass to the sideline um completely abuses uh, a poor defensive back. Uh, this was the same. It was Griffin in both cases. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, th their wide receivers were winning off the line, and that's exactly what they did. Garoppolo was finding him, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Garoppolo didn't have a uh, touchdown, but he didn't need to in order to play a fantastic game. Absolutely. Yeah. This was one where 
you saw like even the volume wasn't necessarily high, right? I think he only had 24 passing attempts in this, but on those, like they were so efficient on those attempts that that was all they needed, right? So I think he had, you know, Wilson by like uh, had uh, 54 dropbacks, I want to say, so 50 plus for sure. And Jimmy had more yards than Wilson did, um, you know, with half the dropbacks. And that was because, again, it's the accuracy there. And then it's guys like Kittle and Debo just consistently getting yards after the catch. Because it wasn't like, you know, they were, they, again, they're, they're not a team that's going to push the ball downfield a ton. They're going to really work in the short and intermediate areas. And, you know, you look at his average depth of target in this game, I think it was like right around six yards. So it's not, you know, it's a lot of underneath stuff. But when you're doing that, with accurate throws and you're able to, you know, hit guys in stride. And then you have just yards after the catch monster guys like it, like Kittle and Debo, like that's a recipe for successful offense, right? And successful passing game. And you've got Shanahan who went back to his bag of tricks because he seemed to have emptied his, his quiver of arrows in that new Orleans game. And he thought he could handle Mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta without having to pull any tricks out. And he probably should have, but now you get back to Shanahan where he's pulling some, some tricks out of the bag and he ran the, the stock rail to Juice, which was that long reception by Juice. Then run that since the Minnesota game last year. And, and now you've got some RPOs in there as well, which is one of Jimmy Garoppolo's preferred, I, I think, concepts and preferred routes to throw because it targets the middle of the field. It's a really quick throw. You've got Debo Samuel who can win on the release. Uh, and yep. once he has the ball in his hands, all of a sudden, uh, he, he's a really, really dangerous player in space or can be. So you look at Debo Samuel, he had 64 of his 100 yards after the catch. Um, and funnily enough, I think David Lombardi tweeted out that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in this game actually ended up highest in the league in yards per attempt or completion. I forget which one it was ahead of Patrick Mahomes uh, based on what he did in this game for the year with his average depth of target being something like six or seven yards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you have to give a ton of credit to guys like Debo and Kittle just doing and, and even, you know, Sanders wasn't as big in this game, but he's been when he's healthy and out there and he's getting catches like it's the same thing with him, right? He's always getting yards after the catch. It's, it's the play is very rarely over for them when the reception happens, right? There's there's almost always extra yards that they're adding on there. And it's big. It's a it's a it's really what makes this offense go. And they need it in this game because you look at the running game and the run game wasn't really there, wasn't really clicking. You know, Mostert had a couple good runs mixed in, but from a, a consistent carry to carry basis, it just wasn't really there. They were largely kind of shutting it down. You look at their most productive runs and a lot of them were non running back, you know, kind of schemed up runs. You think the the Debo touchdown uh, Kittle made a great play on a on a jet sweep that looked like it was going to get stopped for a loss, you know, made a good cut there uh, to get positive yardage. And so that was where a lot of the yardage came from on the ground. But really, it was it was those three guys that were carrying them in the passing game. Yeah, and Mostert seems to have wrestled the starting job away from Tevin Coleman. And Tevin Coleman may get the actual start in that he's the player out there on the first snap. But this seems to be a, a Mostert backfield at this point. And I think the the Brita Brita actually got some snaps this game, so we know that he he's removed from my milk carton at home, which is great. <laughs> but he, I think some of his snaps are actually going to uh, Debo Samuel. I think that's where those snaps are getting eaten into, and it makes sense. I mean, he's hitting those quick outside runs; yep. he's doing them fairly well. Uh, and that's that used to be Matt Brita's specialty. But the the Forty ers run game is very. It seems like boomer bust. It's like you're going to get like a yep. fifteen or twenty yard run, um, or you're going to get like a yard. <laughs> and and your average is going to end up pretty good at the end of those. But it's still going to be like, you know, nothing, nothing. Oh, my God. Look at Raheem Mostert run quickly. 
Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? I mean, that's that's why you get speedy guys at the running back position. But I think as overall, even though the Niners tried to do some really not new things, but some different things in the run game with some more man blocking schemes uh, and even a, like a power run thrown in there. They uh, they didn't necessarily have success in the kind of way that would indicate they would dominate the game and dominate time of possession. Yeah, I think you when you look at like two numbers that really kind of illustrate it, um, pulling up here, you look at their EPA per play, right, which is going to be more a measure of explosiveness. Was actually really pretty good for a run uh, for a running game in this one. So uh, had high marks there, but their success rate. So how consistently were they having successful plays was was much lower was like below average right and i think that kind of yeah it perfectly illustrates what they got in this game they get get a few big plays mixed in but largely it wasn't the the run game that they could rely on it really kind of fell down to okay what's going to happen on third down are they going to be able to get the ball to kittle or or debo and and make something happen and thankfully it did but seattle the herpes of the northwest just would not go away they kept coming back. Uh, they, and, and I thought I, I knew that 13 points in the first half was not going to be enough. I knew that Russell Wilson was going to have some kind of explosion. And, and really, you, you look at the defensive plan from Salah going into this game, and it was pretty good. I mean, it was basically blitz the hell out of, of Russell Wilson and, and try to get to him quickly. He pulled out a lot of the stops in this game. They had a 32% blitz rate, almost 33%. But that jumped up to 41% on third and fourth down. They brought out some new packages. They had a uh, three-two-six blitz package with Tarveris Moore in there, where you only had three down linemen, two linebackers, and six defensive backs. Uh, so they were definitely throwing varied looks at Russell Wilson to get pressure in there. They threw some stunts in there. They had Kaylon Williams on those corner blitzes they love. And overall, the defense played fine. They just or Russell Wilson just kept finding enough yards underneath, or kept keeping them on schedule in third and shorts, such that they were able to convert. And just kind of hang around. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think you you saw defensively. Yeah, they were bothering Wilson. You know, it wasn't always like necessarily quick pressure. It wasn't guys really uh, up front winning a whole lot. It was a lot of schemed pressure. You know, a lot of what they got was um, stuff off stunts and st- some of the blitzes and stuff where you're getting some free rushers and guys there. And, and Wilson may escape that, but it, you know, he, it definitely throws off the timing there, and and it kind of. Uh, keeps him from from really getting into a consistent rhythm. But yeah, you, you just saw them kind of consistently find their way in third and shorts and then always get just enough, right? Just enough to get that first down and kind of keep keep drives going. Um, it, it was you didn't have like any major busts on the back on, on the back end and coverage. You know, there wasn't guys getting roasted. It was just like a step or two of separation here. Uh, and, and that was enough for the completions, right? That was enough for Seattle to kind of keep things going offensively. And, and eventually they were able to string enough of those together to start getting points, right? It, it seemed like it was kind of uh, the 49ers on the other side would do just enough to get off the field, right? In the right moment, kind of come up with a play or force an incompletion or something like that. Um, and, and then later it was Wilson finally stringing those together and getting some drives sustained and, and being able to get those points on the board. And then, yeah, once you finally get down that final drive and it's like oh man here we go they're, they're finally doing it yeah you look into the fourth quarter and the Niners really only had two forced incompletions and they were both Akella Witherspoon on DK Metcalf yeah. uh, one was early and then one came a little bit later in the game and part of that really is that Seattle just avoided Russell uh, avoided Richard Sherman altogether he <laughs> had zero targets in the game and I just flat out think that it would absolutely destroy uh, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson <laughs> if imagine if, if Sherman caught a pick or even had a pick six 
that that would destroy the yeah. city of Seattle. Or could you? Crumble. I mean, could you imagine a moment like on that final drive where it was like a, an NFC Championship game moment with him no. on the other side of it? No. Like literally every single flannel in the Pacific Northwest would spontaneously combust like a Thanos snap and just <laughs> gone dust oh into God. the wind all at once. It, it would happen, and, and so they stay away from Sherman. And that means that you're going to throw to Akella Witherspoon uh, and maybe to K1 Williams. And uh, Akella Witherspoon, I think, was probably rightfully benched in this game. Um, he didn't have a great game, but it wasn't like he was giving up huge. Like, I guess the net result of the plays was kind of huge, but he was sure. just a beat late. And, and it was that beat that oftentimes resulted in him getting beat by a good throw um, or just a receiver who can catch the ball and body him because um, DK Metcalf is newsflash, not small. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you know, you look at his target. So he was, yeah, definitely the most targeted player um, on on the defense in this game when they're avoiding Sherman like that. So, I mean, that basically just leaves your underneath defenders in your other corner, right? Is, is kind of with the way the defense that the 49ers are running, like that's where where the targets are naturally going to go. Um, and for him, he had the two forced incompletions that you mentioned. Every other throw into his coverage was caught is the thing, right? So you're you're not... You know, one, you're not really benefiting from some misses on the quarterback side, right? You know, a lot of times you're going to get some overthrows, even if you've given up that step or two of separation, like the throw is not perfect. And, and that's other enough. defenders did like Jimmy Ward got an overthrow. Yep. Um, I think uh, I, there were some other players that did benefit from those overthrows. Just my boy, Kello. Um, and look, my boy is a bit of a stretch. Um, yeah, you know, but he's you know, he's someone who I think we, we had a bit of faith in. But yep. at this point, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what we think should happen here in a minute. But. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing. So he's, he's again, he's, he's kind of a beat late, like you mentioned, and, you know, giving up that step or two of separation. I think, you know, his plays overall weren't terrible, but it's just when you're as a cornerback, you know, you're going to have a few plays like that. Right. But when you're suddenly stringing together like five, six, seven, eight of those where you're just kind of consistently giving up first downs, uh, it it's, it's tough. Like it, it's tough to, to kind of rebound from that. I mean, so seven receptions in, in his, into his coverage, uh, five of those were first downs or touchdowns like like that's tough like yeah. he, at some point you know you you need to be able to be there and and make like that's the difference between a good cornerback and one that's just maybe more average below average right and, and you compare that with Emmanuel Mosley who came in and had a couple of snaps as well and he had two plays I think that illustrate something very similar he still gave up a reception on the sideline on, yep. on a bit of a scramble where DK Metcalf comes back and is able to make the tackle so similarly to what Akello gave up but he did have a forced incompletion that I think pretty much saved the game because that was a touchdown uh, in the red zone on that final drive where DK Metcalf is running just a, just right up the seam. And Russell Wilson does not see Metcalf. He's his second read. He throws it to him and it allows Mosley to recover just as just enough to knock that ball away. But uh, DK Metcalf is open initially. And, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. He wins that route right yeah. off the release. Yeah. And, but he's able to get back. He's able to recover and he's able to knock the ball away. Um, and, and make a really, really smart play. I, I do think that it would not surprise me if Emmanuel Mosley ends up being the starter moving forward. I do think Shanahan has an interesting decision to make here. I'm curious what you would do in this case. You, you're gearing up for the championship game, or not? The, I'm sorry, the divisional game. Yeah. Do you wait to see the opponent? Do you just look at film and say, I'm calling my shot? It's tough, man. I, I think once you, again, once you get to the playoffs, you know, as we were kind of talking through the same question on the last episode, it's on one hand, you do want to, I think, avoid this kind of like 
you're benching him, you're bringing him back, right? This kind of like roller coaster where he's in, he's out, and, and that kind of shatters a guy's confidence. And then he's just never really going to be able to have a chance to recover and, and get to a point where he's playing well consistently. Like it's going to, it's going to be tough for him to do that. Um, same time, like it's playoff time now, right? Like you at some point just need to get the best 11 guys out there that you think give you the best chance to win. And, and I think there is a decent argument right now that maybe Mosley is that guy on the other side of, of Sherman. Yeah, I I would put in Mosley and just say that's it. Yeah, that's, I, 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 I don't it. think I, I think that would be a very, very defensible decision yeah. at this point. At this point, I put in Mosley. I think you know, given what happened with Akella last season and given what's what's happened so far this season, it is now more often that his uh, that his super solid play are just short spurts and not something that he necessarily can sustain. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and so that's what would kind of lean me more towards uh, Emmanuel Mosley. Um, and, and so, and I think Emmanuel Mosley is just a bigger, more physical human. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, that's ultimately what I would do, but you, you get down to the final drive. And at this point, Emmanuel Mosley's in the game. The, when the Seattle Seahawks got down to the 10 yard line, the, the winning percentage on ESPN's winning probability calculator flips from like, something like 80% Niners or 60% Niners to 73% Seattle. Like it was that much of a flip. It is. It was absolutely nuts. I'm sitting here losing my absolute mind in my house. Like we're going to lose this goddamn game. <laughs> and, and then Dre Greenlaw just comes up with an absolute perfect tackle to get the stop. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot, a lot happened leading up to that point. Right. I, I, I mean, so, uh, you look at when they get down there to the one. I mean, so first it's like a fourth down. You have four, you have them fourth and ten, uh, and and you give up what I mean. Honestly, was like they're they're really fortunate that that play wasn't a touchdown. The that Tyler play, yeah. The the locket conversion on fourth down, like that. There's if that ball's thrown, you know, maybe a beat sooner or something like that, and he hasn't fully because he's working back to the ball, right? And, and so if that throw is out a little bit sooner, because there's separation there, he loses him for a minute right at the break. And uh, it, it's a touchdown, right? If that if he gets that ball a little bit sooner, but enough time passes, he's working his way back out of the end zone to get the ball, just keep away from the coverage, you make the tackle short. Then you have just a, a colossal mental error from the left tackle on Seattle. Like basically, I guess he thought they scored and is like, oh, I thought it was injured. Sideline. No, I think he ran off like like he thought they scored. And uh, and and was like run off, and they had to like bring him back on, and so you're wasting time to get him up there so you yeah. can spike the ball, and then you just get an absurd delay of game penalty. Well, this is where that. this is where ultimately uh, Marshawn Lynch cost them because they were trying to get Marshawn Lynch to come in to win the game, and the, the substitution was slow. They didn't have things all squared away, and all of a sudden the the clock is ticking. Things are crazy, and and it just it it they lost track of time. Yeah, I mean, and and that is, I mean, honestly, that's the thing right there that saved that game. Because, I mean, to be real honest, like, yes, do you get goal line stops here and there? Of course. But, like, four shots from the one-yard line is going to be real tough to stop. Yeah. Like, the, the likelihood that they're going to punch one of those in is just very, very high. And they did it earlier in the game yeah. with Marshawn Lynch, where, I mean, he, he did not look spry. He did not look sprightly. <laughs> But he was, you know, yeah. he was en- in enough good shape to be able to jump over the line and just like teeter the ball over and like ride one of the offensive guards down. And- Look, CJ Anderson has shown us you can come in straight off the street and as, play running back as like a bowling ball. Who's this Homer guy? I like I didn't Travis Homer. Yeah, I don't like I was annoyed by him the entire game because sure. it was like, OK, yeah. sure. Here's a guy who's 
catching footballs and running and is fast. <laughs> don't do the thing yeah. where you just like discover that you don't have to pay running backs and just get really speedy ones. You already like don't don't go that way, Seattle. Sure. Try yeah, to bring Marshawn Lynch in. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring them all back. Uh, God, they worked out another. Let's. I don't know. Get side. They're going to be bringing in Sean Alexander for a workout here pretty soon. Uh, with all the former running backs. That's that okay. Bringing. We're going to bring back. Oh, we've signed Earl Mitchell apparently. Oh, great. Yeah. Let's uh, let's see if uh, if Willis and Bowman want to want to give it one more go on the playoff Look, run. I think it's pretty clear that the 49ers front office is is coming around to the fact that coverage is what wins games, and that's why they signed. Uh, ultimately Earl Mitchell because as a coverage defender <laughs> oh that man God. tilts he tilts the entire defense that they're like you know what Akello, not sure we can start you Earl Mitchell let's do this that round mound I'm sure tilts some stuff but uh <laughs> I don't know if he's still in coverage round he's like a perfect circle like let's be real he's like a short oh my God. round human all right my God. perfect nose tackle body you know I suppose but did whatever. did you anyway. think did you think that the that the that it was pi against oh i mean it Warner. was like just objectively it was it was yeah. pass interference um yeah, yeah. So, so that's I, the next thing right? i i immediately thought that it was like okay that th- this is what's going to get them the new set of downs this is what this is going to be their recovery from from that thing i thought yeah. they were going to at least review it now al riveron put out a statement that said they looked at it in new york and they decided not to send it down to the ref so that's one thing if you weren't familiar about the process is that they do have an eye in the sky and the eye in the sky basically reviews and says, uh, should we send it down to the ref? Uh, okay, we're going to. And in this case, they decided explicitly not to because Hollister initiated the contact and they just looked at it as jostling. Uh, and then that's that. Now, I thought the, the ultimate issue, and if this goes to the ref, I think it ends up being P.I. because he restricts his arm. And he's got his arm basically. He's hugging him. Warner is oh, hugging yeah, Hollister. Grabbing him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. Uh, I, I think... I mean, the reality is the NFL doesn't want that. They, they don't want the, the, the only thing that they want to be able to do with that rule, especially when they're going to initiate a challenge right in that situation, is they just want to avoid something as egregious as what happened in New Orleans. Like that comes up, dude gets, you know, fucking smashed by the sideline well before the ball gets there. Okay, cool. Let's get that one. Nobody's going to have a problem with that. Yeah. Ones that are more borderline, like, I mean, they they already admit that they call the game differently at the end of the game anyway. Yeah. Like they, they admit that they're going to let guys play a little bit more because they don't want basically uh, the refs to be the deciding factor of the game, right? They don't want the outcome of that game to come down to, uh that but but the reality is is like it kind of then still does right they're yeah. still playing that role just from the other side by by kind of removing themselves from it and it just is bizarre that you would say like okay at the most important part of the game the rules are different essentially yeah yeah it's, it's just kind of weird but you're expecting consistency from the nfl uh the paragon of consistency sure. yeah and and ultimately you know i think that the the thing that i've said many times in this podcast is if you don't want the refs to be a part of it go up by so many points that they're not a factor and, and that's what I would tell Seattle fans, because I've said it to Niners fans before, too. It's like that because we still have fans that complain about uh, Crabtree getting held in the Super Bowl and things like that. And it's like, man, like it, th- those are the things where it's part of the game and it sucks. Yeah. And, and I can see both sides of the coin. I can see the initiating contact being, uh, well, we're not going to review it. And things are also happening very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think when I first saw that live, I was like, oh, shit, that's P.I. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just uh, they got like, but yeah, I, I think if you're a Seattle fan, of course, you, you need to go. And I, I feel like that's exactly what we would do if the role was reversed oh, totally. um, on this podcast, right? It's like, okay, yeah, 
Should they have called that penalty? Sure. But should you have maybe been able to get lined up and not have your tackle run off and not, you know, be able to <laughs> spike the ball soon? Should you have maybe not had a delay a game penalty from the one yard line? Like if you if you don't have the self-inflicted mistakes before that, you're not in a position where that matters anyway. Yep, absolutely. And then you get the Dre Greenlaw, the hero of the hour, the basically guy who was going to be in Russell Wilson's nightmares and Jacob Hollister's nightmares, to be fair. Because if we remember in week 10, in overtime, it was Dre Greenlaw that ended up dropping in coverage and getting that interception on Russell Wilson. And now you've got the the clinch from the inch, basically, or the clinch with an inch. I forget what the <laughs> title is going to be. But there's clinching and there's inching. And it's all because of Dre Greenlaw. Uh, ultimately, this is reminiscent of the stop in Super Bowl 16, where Dan Buns, who was also wearing number 57, flattens Charles Alexander after the Bengals running back caught a pass inside the one-yard line in the third quarter. Uh, and then Dan Buns is in on a stop on fourth and one. And, and basically, Chris Collinsworth has never recovered. <laughs> Did he talk about this on the broadcast? No, he didn't. Oh, okay. In fact, he avoided it altogether. Uh, <laughs> he like, <laughs> this, this is, Chris Collinsworth has like PTSD where he just has black spots for two Super Bowls. Yeah, where he I'm just fair. does not remember anything. Um, it, it used to be worse. Or in, like, I would say maybe three or four years ago when the Niners were, were good under Jim Harbaugh. The, the kind of resentment with the last Super Bowls would be a bit more biting and dripping. I think he's mellowed out a little bit in his old age. But sure. ultimately, I think it, it is a fantastic play by a young player who I was really worried about early on. I'm not going to lie. We talked about him on this podcast. Um, and, and while I'm not certainly going to say that he deserves to get Pro Bowl votes, um, he has certainly proved that he can and should play uh, linebacker in the NFL. Uh, if he keeps making plays like that, man, this is going to be uh, really, really good to have him on the team. Look, I mean, it's uh, it's it's certainly better than, you know, paying Malcolm Smith a ton of money to go out there and do nothing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's do absolutely you get paid for Malcolm Smith mention is like because I'm, I'm wondering what the royalties are here. No, no. I mean, I uh, yeah, n- not that I'm aware of. If uh, if I did, it, trust me, it'd be, be brought up a lot more. I'm going to send uh, you one Domino's pizza point every time you uh, I can't even believe I was uh, I forget. I don't even remember where he is now. He's playing somewhere. I saw him pop up and I'm like, wait, yeah. what the shit? He's think, not out of the league yet? I think it's actually in Dallas. Yes, correct. Yep, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, um, yeah weird. Anyway, uh, Greenlaw, great play. That's all I got. Yeah, it, it was it was one of those things where you're just like, I, I can't believe it's another game that comes down to this. Yeah, I, I, it's just like for them to have so many games over the second half of the season uh, that, that are just coming down to the wire there is is tough. Um, and I think the the positive thing, like, you know, looking back on it, they they weren't overwhelmingly fortunate in those games, right? Like yeah. we talk a lot about how the outcome of those games, and this was a prime example, like it comes down to a lot of times one or two plays, right? That, that can swing the difference and it's not... Uh, like I, I would say in this game, they were the better team for the majority of this game. Yep. Right. But it was a couple things and, and honestly, a couple things out of their control that really helped them at the end of this game to, to kind of come away with the win. But they haven't always got the position, I think. So they've had uh, eight games now that were within the score and they went five and three in those, I believe. So, yeah. And, and in the last five games, because it's been basically like four games and then the, the fifth one being the Seattle game where yeah. they're, they're like three and two and this was the third one. Uh, so they were basically two and two going into this game. You look at Seattle, on the other hand, and I think 10 of their games have been one score games and they've won like nine of them. They've won the vast majority of them, which meant they were due for regression. They were due to lose one of these close to scoring games. Yeah. I saw a tweet recently where 
they said basically if all of the one score games were flipped. That's what I was just going to bring up. Too. Yeah. Yep. And, and the Niners still ended up with like the third seed with, you know, like nine or 10 wins or whatever. And Seattle was like three and 11. They were the worst. Yeah, yeah, they would be like they were like entering this week three and 12. They yeah. would be if you just flip the outcome of all of those one score games. Yeah. And, and this is why ultimately, you know, even though the series was split, I think it's pretty clear that the Niners were the best team in both games. It just was absolute luck that sometimes happens when you let teams stay close. And as long as Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, then he has the capability to keep these games close. Right. I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, without a good game from Jimmy in this game, they don't win. Like, and, and that's what it comes down to. Because I think when you look at the, the the team as a whole, right, I don't think there's any question that the 49ers have a more talented team. When you start going position group by position group, they're going to win the majority of those. You're going to give that check mark to them. But it still comes down to quarterback play a lot, right? And and for a large part of the season, and like you know, especially going when we were going to that first game, Wilson was kind of like at the peak of what his his season has been. Um, and, and it's like if he's good enough, and you don't get enough from your quarterback, like that's going to be enough. Like all that other stuff doesn't really matter as much. And here we saw like finally we got the big game, you know, from from Jimmy against these guys, and and they were able to hold Wilson, and that was why they won. Yeah. So ultimately, I think while the play of the game was Dre Greenlaw, the player of the game for me was Debo Samuel. You look at his season and his game, I think he is a versatile piece that Kyle Shanahan loves to employ all over the field. He has eight and a half yards after the catch on average this season. That ranks third in the NFL behind Mecole Hardman and A.J. Brown. Not for rookies, but just in the NFL, which is ridiculous. His 961 total yards were the most ever by a 49ers rookie. If he can just get those drops down, because I think uh, yep. if you use the metric system, he has 9,777 drops. <laughs> and <laughs> if he can just yeah. get those drops down, and even in this game against Seattle, he had one where he bobbled the ball, and it, 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 it basically cost him a first down, and right in the red zone. So if he can just fix that, which is completely fixable, um, he's going to be something special. Right. I think that's the, you know, the big thing that you look at there is like, this wasn't a problem for him in college, right? We, when we did all the draft stuff and we talk about, um, you know, what Shanahan just likes in receivers and, and like hands is a, is the, a major, major part of it. You got to be able to catch the ball when it comes to you. So like, yeah, this isn't an issue that's been a consistent problem for him. Like even in his college career, I think there's a, a very, very good chance that these kind of largely go away going forward, right? He's going to obviously everybody has, has them here and there, but like getting it, that drop rate down significantly, um, I, I think is is very likely to happen with him going forward. And yeah, just it it feels great to have hit on one of these receivers finally. Like it, yeah. it all you already can tell that he is just a player that you need to find a way to get the ball in his hands as much as possible, right? And they do such a great job with all of the other stuff. Like it's he, he's a guy that has you know the versatility that's good, right? He actually is good at multiple things, right? It's not just <laughs> capable of doing it. He can do several things well, and you can use him in so many different ways. And, and having him with an offensive coordinator like Shanahan is just a, a such a great match. And so, yeah, I think it's having young weapons to build around in him and George Kittle is very exciting for this offense. Absolutely agree. So that's the recap of the game. Man, regular season's over now. And and there's, you know, a couple things that that come now at the end of the season where you're like, OK, we've got a 17 game sample. It's one year. And, and in that game or in that season, you've got George Kittle, best tight end, uh, best year for a tight end from from pro football focuses grading uh with a 95 at the end of the year it's of course a scale from zero to 100 uh where zero is jordan debbie and 100 is basically aaron donald and george kittle's yeah. at a 95 
is pre- that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty pretty high number. Uh, man, uh, such such a fun season from him. Like, I mean, last year was it's just like seeing him become this guy that's just a, a four. Like, you're surprised at this point, like when he gets tackled. Yes. Right. Like just the fact that he even goes to the ground, you're like, oh, wow, it wasn't really expecting that to happen. Like, man, (laughs) there was one play where he catches it. He's running up the sideline and you can tell he turns to look at the corner and dips his head and he's like, hit me. And it's just little things like that, that just he's such a fun, fun player to watch. You expect him to do something whenever the game is on the line. And most of the time he does. And he's just a fun player to root for, too. Like, you know, he's just like. He's got so much energy and like just his style of play is great. Like every everything about being able to root for him as a player is is awesome. Um, and so, yeah, seeing his season like it really feels like you, you have the next kind of Gronk here, right? Yeah. Like he he's in position that I think barring any sort of injury. I mean, and that's maybe the thing that you worry about kind of in a Gronk like fashion, right, is is his style of play going to lead to him kind of over the course of time? getting a little bit more banged up and, and stuff like that, I think is really the only concern, but he, he seems set up to be a very dominant player for a long time right now. Yep. Now you get to something that I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the off season review, or we can actually sit down and like, you know, peel back all of what's happened over the course of the year. But one yep. thing I think that has been glaring when we watch defensive tape is just the, the absolute change in defensive approach this year with the Niners defense and the types of coverages they play. And one specifically has seen a huge uptick, and that's quarters. Where you, you, I think Robert Sala has still the rap where he runs that Seattle cover three. And while that's kind of basically true, that is kind of the base coverage that he runs, much like how the West Coast offense expanded into, you know, the unique flavor of the head coach that was going to run it. You now have Robert Sala, who had his own unique flavor of the cover three system before, but now has bolted on a really high degree of quarters usage over the course of the year. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Niners defense had such a good turnaround. Absolutely. I, I think, yes, they are still a majority single high team, but that majority has shifted from, I mean, you look at a lot of the other teams that run this kind of similar style scheme, right? That That's that Seattle based stuff. Um, you're, you're looking a lot of times like 75, 80, 90% of the time in single high coverages, like a, an absurdly high percent of their coverage snaps are, are in those looks. Um, they're down, the 49ers this year are down to more, I think it was like around 55, 56, right? So still, still that's what they're in most of the time. Um, and that's going to be split between just the cover three stuff. And then, and then of course, you know, you get some cover one, some man mixed in there. Um, but I think, yeah, the two things for me that really stuck out is, is changes, uh, that I think he deserves a lot of credit for is yes, more, more too high stuff, specifically quarters use that more than any other team in the league also saw an uptick in cover six, which is another open, you know, too high safety look, uh, coverage scheme. And then I think the other area that you saw is their third down packages, I think just got a lot more diverse. They, they really more than a lot of the other Seattle teams, like, Seattle, especially when it was like Legion of Boom time, were were really from a coverage standpoint pretty conservative, right? They just they had better players than than what you had on offense, and they were going to kind of sit back and just let those players um, execute the the system that they were going to run. They didn't have to get too too tricky with it, right? I think with the the Forty ers this season and with what Sala has done is they've gotten a lot more creative on third downs, right? In in kind of some of the stuff that they do. And we mentioned a couple of the things in this game specifically, but that's been largely the case over the course of the season where you're getting more variety of zone blitzes. They're being a little bit more aggressive um, and just showing a lot of different things in those situations that they haven't really done a lot before. And I think 
uh, that transformation from a coverage standpoint has definitely helped them. And and for a minute, I thought, okay, well, maybe they're going to more split safety looks because they're just they played with more leads this year, and so they're playing in some cases what some might perceive as safer coverages, but. That's not really the case at all. When you look at games that are within seven points, they still had a huge high number of quarters utilization. So it's something they prefer to call. It's something they like to, to run. And honestly, they have the personnel to do it. I mean, Tarveris Moore was a cover four safety in college. Uh, Jimmy Ward, uh, I think, is good enough to be able to play safety lots of different places. So Yeah, I, I do think it very much fits their safeties currently. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, and maybe he would still prefer it if he had an Earl Thomas type safety back Wouldn't there. Wouldn't we all? Uh, you know, that could be a single high guy. But yeah, there's not a whole lot of them out there. And I think that the guys that they have um, are pretty well suited to that quarter style role for sure. Now, you've got interviews, of course, that are happening with the 49ers. And before we get to talking about the interviews and some playoff scenarios, we're going to take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. So we're not the only people that have noticed that Robert Sala has done good things here in San Francisco. Other people are drawn to that shiny dome of excitement that roams the sidelines there in Santa Clara. (laughs) And he's going to interview for the Browns, uh, for the Browns head coaching job. And you're not going to see Shanahan wave him off and be like, don't do it. Don't do it. Apparently, he's like, yeah, dude, do it. Have fun. Enjoy. Uh, and and so if he leaves, there are some options of people that could be promoted. Of course, chief among them is Joe Woods. I do think Joe Woods probably had something to do with some of the changes in coverages. Uh, it yep. still takes a defensive coordinator like Robert Sala to be able to say, yes, let's do that. But he is right. But it, yeah, Woods deserves because he is. I mean, his title is passing game coordinator right Correct. on the defense. So, yeah, he absolutely. deserves a lot of that credit as well. And I think he's in that he's has. He has defensive coordinator experience before. He would be an easy slot in to promote from within. And, and so I think that's definitely, in, in my mind, the leader in the clubhouse for, for the person who should take over, I think. Uh, unless, of course, someone like Wade Phillips shakes off the tree uh, because apparently he uh, may become the scapegoat for some of the problems in uh, Los Angeles, which would be hilarious because wow. that's not it. Yep. Um, but... Uh, the, the question I think a lot of people have when you talk about Wade Phillips is, yes, he's great. Yes, he improves even good defenses and makes them great historically, which is what I love. Uh, but he runs a 3-4, David. Uh, what would you tell to the folks that are worried about Wade Phillips running a 3-4? doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. No, it doesn't. Uh, again, we go back to the idea that you're going to run a four-down nickel look most of your plays anyway. Yep. Um, and, and so really what you're talking about is just a small percentage of base snaps. But even then, the assignments is are, are what are important. And the assignments are, in many ways, very, very similar. And also, like, Wade Phillips is an idiot, right? He's not going to come in with this team that is has been clearly built for a four-man front from a defensive line standpoint, right, with the guys that you have in there in Bosa uh, and, and Ford. And, like, he's not going... Even though Ford obviously has experience standing up when he was with Kansas City, um, it, it just ultimately isn't going to matter. It's going to be on a small percentage of snaps, they're still going to be in those four down looks. Like if he were to come in, he's a smart guy. He's going to use those guys, uh, yeah. how, how they're going to be best utilized. But the offensive coach, coaches are interesting because you've got Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur, who are both also interviewing for that ran or for the, the Browns job. And they may also get some looks uh, for some other places as well. Now, of course, this is the week they need to interview. So if they don't have other interviews lined up, they are going to have to come until after the Niners are out of the playoffs. But I don't think both of those coordinators are going to leave. I think... One like Mike LaFleur is not going to get the job and say, I'm taking Mike McDaniel. Um, I think that's where Shanahan may actually block them. But I do think that if Sala gets the Brown job, he may take one of the two mics. Um, right. And, and I, I don't think he'll take both, obviously, but I do think he'll take one of them. And, and if they and at that point, they'd be calling plays 
Shanahan would view that as kind of like, well, you don't get the call plays here. You can go run that offense over there. I think he'd let him go. Um, but ultimately, as much as I think that Mike and Mike obviously are, are good coaches, they th- this is the benefit of having an offensive-minded head coach. That's why you do it. The system is Shanahan's. The play calling is Shanahan. Like, okay, that's great. But Shanahan has proven that he can design a great offensive system, that he can call, that he can call great plays, and that he can identify young coaching talent. Such, I mean, he's got Rob, Robert Sala. He's got uh, the two mics, and you know, I mean, even Sean McVay uh, to a certain degree is is like a slice off of the the Shanahan tree. So I think I'm not worried about that at all. It's like, hey, man, this is what happens when you have a good team. People leave, but when you have a really really good foundation at a franchise that can find good talent, develop it, and send them on their way. This is why the Niners were so good in the 80s and 90s, uh, and I'm not worried about it with Shanahan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is the primary benefit of having a guy like Shanahan be your offensive coach, right? Is the the consistency is going to be there um, offensively as long as he's around, right? Like, while we don't want to say that like the offensive position coaches like just flat out don't matter, like they matter to a lesser degree than a lot of other situations, right? When you have a guy like that that's kind of running the offense and calling the shots, like. You can feel confident that things are just kind of going to be able to work themselves out offensively as long as he's around there. And so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, looking at the defensive side, that's always going to be where you're worried about the change a little bit more and, and kind of what those things might bring. But, um, yeah, you, at this point, especially if they manage to, you know, uh, we, we hope that this is uh, just the, the start of a long run of success under Kyle Shanahan. Right. If that's true, this is going to consistently happen. Right. You're going to have guys on his offensive staff leaving all the time. Yep. And and I think what we've seen from other coaches that have been able to have that sort of sustained success and have coaches leave, like they're the the glue that holds it all together, right? They can be it's it's like Belichick losing defensive coordinators every other year. Like it yeah. just ultimately doesn't matter. Like they're gonna be able to find guys that can do enough there and, and ultimately it's up uh to him anyway. Yep. So the other name I think uh, that we'd be remiss without mentioning is Chris Richard. Um, probably not someone I'm super wild about, um, but he would, I think, be an option because if Dallas ever fires their coaches, because we're recording this Wednesday night, and I guess like he, Jerry Jones still hasn't fired Jason Garrett. What are they? I don't know what they're doing. I don't know, man. They're, they're not familiar with you know moving pieces in your offense. Uh, and so they're just, you know, they stay flat footed. That's how they play offense. That's how apparently they treat their coaches. I do think that the funniest thing I heard about it was Kevin Clark on the Ringer podcast. He said, How funny would it be if Jerry Jones conducted a wide, expansive independent search for his next head coach? And like the number one thing that was returned and like some kind of algorithmic model was Jason Garrett. oh it would be perfect yeah that would just yeah he's a disaster yeah whatever but now we get to it's the playoffs man we've got a bye week we can rest up we're gonna have some solid players in jaquaski tartan d ford coming back but now you've got playoff scenarios we could see niners seattle again in just a couple of weeks because of course the niners are going to go to philadelphia and if they beat philadelphia and new orleans beats minnesota you've got a rubber match in uh in santa clara at levi's and i don't know that my heart can take uh, a third one of these oh man yeah like the the uh objective football observer in me is like hell yes let's do this a third time because these games are going to be fun you know it's going to be fun in that playoff environment again and it kind of you know brings back a lot of the, the the those memories from the harbaugh era you know with with battles in these two with these two teams and some of those games were like some of the best games that i've ever watched right and so having a chance to have another playoff game like that uh would be a lot of fun to watch but yeah i mean like as a Let's get the Niners to a Super Bowl. Like, please let Philadelphia win that game. Which team do you think has the best chance of beating the Niners in the NFC? 
just like outside anyone, any of the other playoff teams? Yeah, like knowing that they have to come to Levi's, knowing that the Niners are the number one seed. So within the NFC and and based on matchups, right? Like, so like if we end up facing Seattle, yeah. like I don't think Seattle beats us at Levi's. Um, but then, you know, I do think we end up probably playing someone like New Orleans in the NFC Championship game. And, New, and New Orleans is the team. Yeah, I think it's absolutely New Orleans. Yeah. I, I'm not too worried about like if, if Philly gets, uh, you know, if Philly somehow manages or if the Vikings somehow manage to upset New Orleans, uh, then we get Philly. Like, I'm not worried about Philadelphia. Uh, I'm not too worried about Green Bay. Um, it's New Orleans. Yeah. The, the best case scenario of a playoff road for them is is getting Philadelphia than Green Bay. If that works out, like, I think odds are are pretty high that they're going to be yeah. playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, if you get Seattle, New Orleans, that is that's tough. You know, that's going to be a, a tougher road for sure. Which of the AFC teams do you think uh, worry you? I mean, it's hard not to say Baltimore, um, at least first to me, just because they're, they're such a different matchup. And we saw that, like, it's it's a tougher you know game. for. I, I don't think the way that they come at you offensively suits the way that this 49ers defense is built and, and is good. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think from a, a pure matchup standpoint, I don't really love that one. Um, I mean, yeah, for, for me, the two teams in, in the AFC that I really am the only two that I'm, I'd be worried about at all are them in Kansas city, like yep. um, Kansas city's offense with Mahomes like is just too dangerous. Like, you, you know, that they are, they can put it uh, together. If they put it together for one game that they can put up a ton of points, like no matter what the defense is doing, no matter how good you are there. And so like their their kind of ceiling is scary. Yeah, absolutely. That that would be the thing for me. I, I don't know that I am I don't know that I have the intestinal constitution to to withstand <laughs> a, a, a Seattle rubber match and a Baltimore Super Bowl rematch. I, I was, yeah. Uh, could you imagine though if they if they did that in one, like how oh my God, it and would the, feel so the, good. The, but the irony of basically now facing the offense you were running in the Super Bowl the last time that you lost. Yeah. It just I don't know that I'm prepared for that. I also would then have to relive the single worst hangover I've ever had in my oh, life, God. alcohol-induced hangover. Uh, I still can't drink hurricanes to this day. Um it it was not it was not a good time. Yeah, it was a it was a terrible time. It was it was a terrible, a terrible time. Terrible time. Certainly not time. New Year's Day terrible. Uh, but, uh, or rather the other way around New Year's yeah. day today, certainly oh, not as terrible as that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, man, I I'm, I'm already a mess when I watch games. Super like, I'm super quiet. My friends think I'm super weird. I don't really watch games with other people. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think, uh, I think if they get to the Super Bowl, it's just going to have to be just me and you sitting on the couch, watching, <laughs> watching a game for, you know, four hours in silence, uh, hoping, <laughs> Yeah. Hoping that, that things go well. I, I'm in for that. Checks out. Yeah. I'm in for that. But uh, all right, dude. I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. NFC West champions. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>